Good morning. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. The title of our message this morning is The Spirit of Adoption. And our text is Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. As you turn there, let me remind you that we have Bibles in the back for your use and ask all of us to open to the text so that we might both see and hear God's precious word. Implied in the title of the message is fatherhood. And fatherhood is a key theme of our text. It is also the theme of this day that we set aside to honor fathers. Fathers, let me speak to you for a moment. First of all, happy Father's Day, guys. Starting with God's Word and moving to every study I have read, one thing is clear. Having a father makes all the difference in the world. Fathers, by your presence in the home, at the dinner table, in devotions, at night praying for your children, talking with them as they live life, letting them see your lives, providing an example of those who come here to hear God's Word is a huge means of grace and fulfills a passage that we so often read in our baby dedications. That passage is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7 on the screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This passage speaks of living life before your God according to his word so that your children can see it and ask you about it. Watch you work it out. Watch when you fail. Watch when you come back and ask for forgiveness. Watch you love your God and worship your God. And you can then encourage them to worship God alone, picking them up when they fall, disciplining them, yes, teaching them, always in faith with lots of love. So before we read our text about fatherhood and the spirit of adoption, I'd like to pray for all the fathers today. I'd like to pray for us all that we would hear God's word and we would respond in faith. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to speak your word powerfully as you desire. Father, I thank you for the men that are here today that are fathers. May they receive your grace to care for their children as you care for them. Father, I thank you for this, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read our text this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This text today touches upon fatherhood as it speaks about the spirit of adoption. 
and the fact that through the spirit of adoption, we are brought into God's family. God the Father adopts us through God the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, based upon what God the Son, Jesus Christ, did for us. Friends, adoption and fatherhood are game changers. Adoption was a game changer in Isaac Gavilan's life. Isaac is four years of age, and his estimated birth date is December 22, 2009. Estimated, you ask? Why estimated? Well, Isaac was not born with the name Isaac Gavilan. In fact, we don't really know what the name his parents gave him at birth, because six months after he was born in the city of Shanghai, China, his parents abandoned Isaac in a hospital clinic. He was taken to an orphanage where he was given the name Fong Sheri. He lived very much alone with no father or mother until one and a half years ago when his life changed forever. You see, this little no-name orphan boy with an estimated birth date was adopted that day by Raphael and Shailene Gavilan at significant cost to them a cost they gladly pay to adopt this little boy and give him their name, Gavilan, and bring him to Miami. And that was a game-changer for Fong Sheri, or should I say, Isaac Gavilan. Adoption and fatherhood are game-changers, and in Christ, God the Father adopts us, giving us his name and making us his sons and daughters. I believe this text can be summed up in the following sentence. In Christ, we are no longer slaves to the flesh, but sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We're no longer slaves to the flesh, but sons and daughters of the Father. Point one. In Christ, we are no longer slaves to the flesh. If you look at verse 12, you see stated there that we are no longer to be debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. A debtor is one who is a slave. And the reason that we're no longer to be debtors to the flesh is what verse 13 says, that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 13 is referencing back to verses 5 through 11 of chapter 8, that we are no longer in the flesh. No, we're in the Spirit. Because we have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He is called the Spirit of Christ in chapter 8, verse 9. Here, in chapter 8, verse 15, he's called the Spirit of Adoption. What this means is that because we have the Spirit, because we have the Spirit, we no longer are under the rule or dominion of the flesh. The Spirit of God has delivered us from the power of sin from slavery to the flesh. We are no longer under the tyranny of the flesh in our everyday lives. And what is implied in verse 13 is that we can and should put the deeds of the body to death by the Spirit of God. The deeds of the body are simply the works of the flesh because, really, the actions of the flesh, the sin nature, are expressed through our bodies. The power to put them to death comes by the Holy Spirit. Now that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, 
We are to not live according to the flesh, doing those things that disobey God and displease God, but by the power of the Spirit, we're to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I want you to see the contrast here. In verse 13, you're either living according to the flesh, giving in to the deeds of the flesh, the sin nature, and you die if you do that. Or you are by the Spirit of God putting to death the deeds of the body, the flesh, and you will live. Life and death, there's the contrast. It is a struggle. It is a, it is a struggle that we call sanctification. And this is a life or death struggle. It's a spiritual warfare. And for many of us, that struggle can be very frustrating. I mean, it's a serious struggle. I mean, the contrast could not be stronger and somewhat ironic. If you live by the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. We are either killing the flesh or being killed by it. This is the definition of spiritual warfare. Perhaps an illustration would be helpful at this point. What is God telling us here? What is he saying based upon the fact that we are now in the Spirit? If indeed we belong to Christ, and we do, then we have his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in us. So therefore, instead of living according to the flesh, doing those things that displease God, we are by the Spirit to be killing, putting to death the deeds of the body. Well, here's the illustration. If I picked up a bullet and I threw it at you, let's say you were an enemy, you were coming to kill me, the options were this, either I'm going to be killed or I'm going to kill you. That, those are the only two options in this text, in this picture, metaphorically speaking. And this is hopefully not to offend anyone, but the text itself has very stringent consequences. It's kill or be killed. So if, I, if you're coming to kill me and I pick up a bullet and throw it at you as hard as I can, I'm probably not going to do very much damage. Well, maybe if I throw it really hard and really well placed, I may hurt you. And if I get really lucky, maybe even kill you. But it's probably not going to stop you. And think in terms that this text gives us dire terms. I mean, life or death, coming to kill you, coming to kill your family. That's what sin does. It really does kill us. It, it'll kill a church. It'll kill a family. And, and so God is saying, put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Now here is the illustration. Instead of throwing that bullet at you, I take that bullet and put it in a gun. And again, I don't fe mean to offend, but it is a strong illustration here in the text of life or death, of warfare. And I pick up that gun and I fire that gun. Friends, that bullet's going to now travel at a much, much greater rate of speed than I can throw it. And, it. and it's going to be powered by something far greater than my arm. And that's the picture of the Holy Spirit. The means of grace, the bullets, so to speak, are prayer, the Word of God, coming together to worship like we're doing this morning, confessing our sins, seeking God. But they're empowered by the Spirit. We're not just throwing them with our own strength, but yet the Spirit of God is empowering them that they might find their mark and put to death the deeds of the body. See, the Spirit is the one that gives it that power, and a well-aimed shot will kill this metaphorical opponent who's coming to kill us and our families and our church. We can trust God and pray in the power of the Spirit 
And that is what God is telling us here that we're to do. And here's the application. Where do you need to be killing sin? Where has sin been slowly killing off your passion for the Lord? Perhaps you have been throwing bullets at it, throwing them in your own power. And you're tired. You're ready to walk away. You're ready to say, you know what? I can't do it. It's not happening. See, the the enemy of your soul would want to make you quit. And you may say, you know what? I'm just going to accept the fact that I'm justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that's it. And that is true. But there's more. Because we're justified, we can now be putting sin to death. The Spirit enables that. And we have a part to play. It's not in throwing the bullets, but we do need to load the bullets. We do need to pick up the gun. We do need to aim it. And again, without offending anyone, and pull the trigger. Now, I can't make that bullet go as fast as it's going to go with the gunpowder and the the force. But, But my job is to pick it up, the gun up, aim it, and pull the trigger. The Spirit of God empowers now. And, and, and kills that sin that would kill me. So where do we need to be killing sin in our lives? Believing God for the power of the Spirit. And having hope. You see, friends, there is, there is life because the Spirit indwells us. We know that from verse 11 that we preached last week, Romans eight eleven. And this life is an eschatological life. It's that end time life. It's that resurrection life. The same Spirit that raise Christ from the dead. If he dwells in us, then the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies through the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption. And so that life breaks into now and gives us hope in our battle. That end time life, that resurrection life that is to come, gives us hope to fight today. Titus 2, 11 to 14 really picks up on that. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week, this hope we have of the glory of God that is promised to us at the end time. But listen to what Titus 2, 11 to 14 says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. There it is. That's putting the deeds of the body to death by the Spirit, the grace of God, that's salvation. That's Christ coming to give us new life. What we could not do for ourselves, God did. What the law could not do, God did. That's the grace of God. But then the grace of God teaches us to say no to godly ungodliness, to renounce it in worldly passions. Now look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's what empowers us today to fight the fight, the glory that is promised us tomorrow. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, now pay attention carefully, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That phrase, a people for his own possession, leads us to point two. Because these people of for God's own possession describe his sons and his daughters. He's adopted them. They are his now. They are for his possession. They are pure. That's why Jesus came to die. They, they, they've been redeemed from all lawlessness and they live for God. Point two, in Christ we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. In Christ we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Verse 14 tells us that all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of 
God. We are God's sons and daughters. That word sons there is generic, sons and daughters. We are led by the Spirit. What does that mean? We are no longer in the flesh. We belong to Christ. And through Christ, we belong to God. And thus, we're adopted by the Father. We're no longer under the power of sin. We live in the power of the Spirit. It's the new age of the Spirit inaugurated by Christ. It means that we're no longer governed by the flesh, but rather governed by the Spirit. That's why we're not to live any longer according to the flesh and die but by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. We have a greater power in us. Our obedience is the result of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Do you know that in the Old Testament, Israel was often called the Son of God? Why? Because Israel collectively, men and women, were God's possession, God's people. He, they were His family. He had adopted them. God's Spirit indwells God's people and makes them his sons and his daughters, his possession, because they have received the spirit of adoption. And that is what verse 15 says, the key verse in this passage. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. At conversion, friends, we receive the spirit of adoption. That's He's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ, 8-9. The Spirit of Adoption, 8-15. The Holy Spirit, that's whom we receive at our conversion. He's the one that makes us alive from the dead. He's the one that convicts us of sin. He's the one that reveals Christ as our Savior. He's the one that adopts us. Notice the contrast in verse 15. Huge contrast between the spirit of slavery, falling back into fear, and the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of slavery is the old way, the old covenant. Why? Because the law, which is good, comes and tells us what to do, but we can't do it, so sin uses the law to kill us. We have fear. We have condemnation. We fall back away from God. But, oh, friends, at conversion, the spirit of adoption now, the spirit of adoption where God does what the law could not do, condemning the law in the flesh, in the body of Jesus, and fulfilling the requirements of the law in Christ, and then enabling us by the Spirit to walk in obedience to Him, to put to death the deeds of the body. And so we're no longer in fear, but in faith, and we say, Abba, Father, Daddy, we love you. What a contrast. Adoption by God is made possible because we've been joined with his son and it is the holy spirit who bears witness in our hearts that we are children of god look at verse 16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god this is the broader work of the holy spirit he's here this morning to bear witness with your heart that you are a child of god if you have repented and placed your faith in jesus christ this is really a prayer when it says, Abba, Father, at the end of verse 15, it's a prayer, the Spirit of God initiating this prayer. It's a prayer acknowledging our adoptive status. We do so with much joy and gladness. We cry out. Notice the exclamation points. Abba, Father. A term of endearment, a term of intimacy, a term of delight. No longer obeying God out of sheer duty, but out of delight. He's our Father. There's this intimacy there. Does this intimacy describe your relationship with God the Father? Oh, this is part of the broad work of the Spirit. 
to give us this existential sense of intimacy with God as our Father. He's the one who bears witness, the Spirit, with our spirits, to give us assurance and joy, confidence as we, as we approach God, no matter if we've done well or poorly. He's our Father. He will care for us. He will protect us. And by way of application, I know this may be difficult for some of you. You don't know what it is to have a father, perhaps, like Isaac Gavilan. You've never had a father. You have to learn what it is to have a heavenly father, and the Spirit is here to teach you, to convince you you're not an orphan anymore. Often orphans have a very difficult time connecting and bonding with their adoptive families. It's just so hard for them to believe that they have a father. I mean, Isaac can look at Raphael and say, you don't look Chinese. This doesn't look like Shanghai. But he is adopted. They will never forsake Isaac. They will never leave him. He has their name. And that is what the Spirit communicates to us. We have a father. Or for some of you, perhaps you've had a father, all right, but he's not good. He's neglected you. He's abandoned you. And in the worst case, perhaps some of you, he's abused you, beaten you, or done horrible things to you. The Spirit is here to say that you have a new Father, a heavenly Father who is good, who gave himself for you, gave his Son for you at great cost so that you might trust him, so you might believe him, so that you might be convinced that you are children of God. And look at verse 17. And if children of God, oh friends, this is amazing news, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Friends, we are not just children, but we're heirs. An inheritance is something you cannot earn. You're born into. And this inheritance is amazing. Would you like to know what it is? Would you like to know what our inheritance is, what we've been promised by the Father? Would you like to see it? Well, we see it here, but here is pointing back to its original, its original point of origin. And that original point of origin is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. For you see, Abraham was given a promise, and we are his children by faith. Abraham was given a promise, and this is, this is our inheritance. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 on the screen, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we read in Galatians 3, 14 and 29. Galatians 3, 14 and 29. The following. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit, there it is, through faith. The Spirit is the blessing. The Spirit is what God promised. Verse 29 of Galatians 3, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. And then Romans 4.13. Romans 4.13 says the following, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, and that's us, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. These promises are amazing. They are by faith in Christ. Christ fulfills these promises. He gives us the Spirit to bear witness to our spirits. We are heirs of the world. That's right. 
That's right. Even though in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, it says that the promise was of land, which we know now is a picture of heaven, and of descendants, which we know now is a picture of God's people, both Jew and Gentile. But also the promise was that through Abraham, he would bless the nations. Well, friends, if through you, you're going to bless the nations, guess what? You inherit even the very nations, the whole world. Our inheritance is great, but it's even greater than that. It's greater than all of that because we see in verse 17 that we are heirs of God, heirs of God himself. The supreme benefit of the covenant with Abraham is not inheriting the land, but having God as one's God. God is our inheritance. In our union with Christ, we now receive God as our Father. And we are fellow heirs with Christ. All of this is possible because we're united with Christ. That's what verse 17 says. We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The very glory that is Christ on that last day will be ours. This is that hope that sustains us that we saw back in Titus 2, 11 to 14. And this glory is what we're going to see next week that gives us such great hope. We have received Christ's inheritance, an inheritance of glory. Wow. What great news. What great news. But there is a condition. There is a condition, friends. This glory is far above anything we could ever ask. It's far above the false glories of this world. Whatever is beckoning you to you think would give you life, there's only full life and satisfaction in God himself. We were built for God. And this glory is ours in Christ. But there's a condition. And that condition is that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is very clear in Scripture. Jesus Christ endured the suffering, endured the shame of the cross, looking for the joy beyond it and seeing the glory beyond it. And so we join with Christ in his suffering, carrying the very cross that he's called us to carry. That road to glory is a road of suffering with him. But it's worth it. Oh, friends, it's worth it. On the screen, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is the glory that sustains. This is the glory that endures forever. Not the false glory, the counterfeit glory of the deeds of the body, the flesh, what this world has to offer but the glory of Christ that will be ours, friends. It will be ours. Eternal life. Eternal, immortal bodies ruling and reigning with Him forever and ever in the new heavens and new earth. What a promise. What an inheritance. What a joy. Here's the appeal. Friends, do you remember Isaac? Little Isaac Gavilan. Well, here's something that I didn't tell you on the front end. That the reason he was abandoned at that hospital clinic was that Isaac was born with a serious heart condition. So serious, in fact, that that he needed heart surgery before he was moved to the orphanage. His condition was, was a fatal heart condition. Without that surgery, he would have died. 
And like Isaac, we were born with a serious heart condition, actually a fatal heart condition called sin, and we needed surgery. But surgery alone wasn't all that Isaac needed, because with a new heart, he still would have been an orphan boy in Shanghai, China. He was adopted by the Gavilans, and we have received a new heart, and we've been adopted by God the Father. And as the Gavilans gave Isaac their name, a new name, so God has given us his name, a new name. We are his people, his possession. This is what God has done for us. He sent the spirit of adoption into our hearts to give us new hearts and a new name and make us his own, make us his children. Friends, like Isaac, this little baby, helpless in the gigantic city of Shanghai, China. And if you know anything about Shanghai, it literally has millions and millions of people. He was there, sick, alone, lost, an orphan. And the Gobulans came at great cost to find him and adopt him. Oh, friends, God came to this earth at a far greater cost than the Gobulans, and they would readily admit that. Jesus, God in the flesh, came and gave it all for us to find us, to call us, to heal our sick, fatally sick hearts, and then to adopt us. As the song says, out of millions lost, thank you, Lord, for saving me. He will never leave us. He has made us his children, adopted us, fellow heirs with Christ, who will share in his glory. Oh, friends, the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of Adoption here in Romans 8.15, enables all of us in whom he dwells, to wish our Heavenly Father a happy Father's Day. Or as the text here states it, Abba, Father, may you go home today and honor your earthly Father. That is right and good. But, oh, friends, may you honor your Heavenly Father on this Father's Day. Father, we all say with you in our hearts this morning, Happy Father's Day, Abba, Father. Let's pray.